You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey, this is Dennis from Refused and Invasion. You're listening to Pure Pleasure. I hope you enjoy it. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another week of Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpus on Adobe Radio and Jabberjaw Media. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you great content week after week. And this week is a massive guest, Mr. Dennis Lykson from Refused, from Invasion, from International Noise Conspiracy. The man, the myth, the legend is on the show today. Uh, Coming to me from Sweden, I was up at 3 in the morning. To do this interview uh, with the nine-hour time difference, so Dennis would just eaten lunch and came on the show, and Deb uh, from Girly Action Media uh, hooked us up with this, and Mike Mowry, uh, my buddy from Jabberjaw, who also manages Refused, uh, got this interview together, and Dennis was fantastic, uh, as I had planned. He's a great dude, a lot to say, a lot of opinions, uh, some cool insight into you know how he goes about his life, how he goes about his art, and you know, where everything came from as far as Refused and Invasion and International Noise Conspiracy. So and I know everyone wants to hear about Refused. But we talked about that a bit, but we also talked about other things. We talked about, uh, you know, his life, uh, how he got into music, uh, how he got into punk rock, and, you know, where he came from. So being from Sweden and, and coming over to America and, and having such success years and years and years and years after having no success after the band had broken up. So Refuse had been a band since, I think, 92? I believe it was 92. Um, and then they broke up in 98. And Shape of Punk to Come had come out. They recorded it at the end and basically got to sit back and watch their whole career, you know, their whole uh, influence on music just skyrocket and watch every band in the world try to be Refused when they're not even a band. And we talked about that a bit because that always fascinated me is being able to sit back much like being a fan and watching yourself, what your contribution does in real time, not being in it. And so that was that was fun to talk about. Anyway, uh, and as you know, this month, we are debuting a new song from Nominee, a band I'm really passionate about from Austin, Texas. Uh, their EP is called Drag Me Out, and it's on iTunes, Spotify, everywhere. So look up Nominee. I'm going to put the link in the show notes as usual. 
And this week, uh, the first song I heard from them was called Stay. And Mike Mowry sent this over to me and said, check this band out. I've been hooked ever since. So what we're going to do right now, we're going to listen to... Last week, we listened to Whitewater. This week, we're going to listen to Stay by Nominee. Here it is now. guys i hope you enjoyed stay by nominee uh, like i said every week this month of june we're going to debut another song from them 
This one was called Stay on the album Drag Me Out, and you can find that on iTunes and Spotify last week. Without the show with Adam D uh, from Killswitch Engage, that one had Weathered, uh, excuse me, Whitewater. Weathered is another song on the on the record we'll play later. But anyway, so without further ado, let's get some business out of the way. So we are on uh, peerpleasurepodcast.com. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. We are everywhere podcasts are available. And we're also on Adobe Radio, which you're probably listening to now. Uh, if you're not, and if you are, excuse me, if you are listening on Adobe Radio, you can go over after this is over and download the full version on iTunes. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to the show on iTunes. This is huge. I can't I can't push this enough. Those ratings and downloads really help the show with advertising. They help us with getting, you know, bigger bigger guests and just all around becoming a better show. And I love all the feedback I'm getting from you guys at purepleasurepod at gmail.com. All the guest ideas. I think I've been able to pretty much accommodate everybody that has uh, written me in as far as a future guest or a guest we've already had that they maybe didn't know about. I know I'm getting a lot of people coming back, uh, listening to old episodes. Those are getting a lot of plays. Uh, you know, the ones with Ian McKay, if you haven't heard that one yet. The ones with uh, Larry Livermore from Lookout Records. That one was fascinating. Um, you know, we've got tons. Colin from Circus Survive. Uh, Anthony Green. We've got, I mean, go back through the back catalog if you haven't already on iTunes and check it out. Uh, I think you're going to, there's something for everyone to enjoy there and a lot of interesting conversations. So I want to get into this conversation with Dennis. Uh, It's going to be a little over an hour. So Adobe listeners go afterwards and download the full version at iTunes if you want to hear the rest of the story. Without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Dennis Likeson from Refused. afternoon yes hello hello <laughs> how you doing dennis good how are you can Dude, you hear me possibly? i can hear you great man real great good how's uh how's your day going over there man i mean so far i mean it's it's i had lunch and now i'm talking to you so it's it's you know not a whole lot of action yet <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just uh got up a little bit ago and it's 4 a.m my time here in in portland oregon so uh that's late oh man it's early yeah. <laughs> oh yeah it's early. i get up for i get up for work about this time anyways so i told deb i was like man if he can do that time that's perfect all right cool cool good good cool yeah. all right dennis well welcome to the peer pleasure podcast man uh dennis from refused and invasion and international noise conspiracy all sorts of of great uh great bands welcome to the show man Thank you, thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so I want to start out, uh, you know, growing up in Sweden. What was what was childhood like for you, Dennis? As far as as far as growing up over there and and you know working your way up to where you are now. 
it was fine. It was, it was, I must say, quite uneventful. Uh-huh. I grew up in a very small town on the outskirts of the very small town. Um, <laughs> my child was pretty mellow. I spent a lot of time uh, running around in the forest by myself. That's kind of how I spent my, my childhood. Okay. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. That's a that's yeah. a good way to learn. I grew up in Alaska and same kind of thing and a small island and just kind of palled around and, and did my own thing. But did you have uh did you have artistic or musical parents? Not really. My dad uh was into music, is into music, listens to a lot of music, but they were not at all that aspect of uh who I became uh did did not come from my family at all. I, I have no idea where that came from, but I remember when I started playing music, uh, mom and dad were pretty stoked, but at the same time, they were also really working class, kind of a normal working class parent telling me, well, it's great that you want to play music, but you should get a real job. Uh And that's kind of the sentiment. And I mean, that changed, of course, uh, once they realized that this is is what I'm going to be for the rest of my life. But uh, yeah, they were were typical working class uh, type of parents, you know. Okay. And did you have yeah. brothers and sisters? I have uh, two younger brothers and uh, one younger sister. But I uh, I have a brother that's two years younger than me. Uh-huh. And I have a brother that's 10 years younger than me. And my sister is 19 years younger than me. So I, I moved out of the house uh, the weekend she was born. Oh, wow. So I was one in, one out at that point, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But you got yeah. to be the cool older brother that turned him on to all sorts of awesome music. <laughs> I guess in a way, I mean, uh, it's it's hard. Uh, I think it's hard for them to sort of admit that. Uh-huh. But I was the older brother, that, and I got you know I got into punk, and I I started playing music, and uh, both my brothers, um, both my brothers are now punks, and they they play in bands. And my uh, my brother that's two years younger than me. He was he was in Portland like a month ago playing with his hardcore band DS13, and uh, my brother, that's ten years younger than me, he's an invasion sound engineer. So oh, okay. I mean, you know, yeah, man. Well, when did you get yep. into music? Did you get into music fairly early, or was it a little bit later for you? Like, you know, middle school, high school. Well, I, I got into like listening to music when I was um, eight years old because mm-hmm. it was uh, John Lennon got shot and, and killed. And that was all over the news, and it was like 1980, so I was eight years old, and uh, I saw all the pictures of the Beatles, and I thought they looked cool as fuck. And I was like, Uh wow, they look awesome. So uh, my dad had all the Beatles records, so I I stole all these Beatles records, and I built Lego guitars, and I I started like really getting into music. So I was eight when that happened. Uh, And then I I really, I came into my own... um, when I was 12, I bought Let's Dance with David Bowie, and that was kind of the start of like buying records and being like uh, really into music. So, yeah. Okay. And were you a yeah. lot, I mean, were you really influenced by a lot of European bands? Um, you know, I know it's, it kind of crosses over to where Americans are, are very influenced by European bands and seek out that kind of stuff, whereas I think a lot of the European bands seek out some of the American stuff. Was it a good mix for you, or when you got into, let's say, punk rock, were you more into the, you know, the European punk rock, the the oi and the the like, the Sex Pistols and all that stuff, 
or or how did you get into punk rock? Well, I, I got into so I, I was I was that weird kid that was into Bowie when all the other kids in the class they would listen to Kiss and I was okay. listening to Bowie. But then uh, I got into metal, and I don't think I when I was young I don't really think I I paid much attention to whether it was from Sweden or England or, or America, I was just like, you know, you were into heavy metal. I was into Aussie or whatever, what have mm. you. But then uh, when I got into punk, it was mostly American hardcore that I got into. Like that was kind of like uh, my gateway into all types of punk and hardcore. I would say was was what we now would refer to as a crossover. Like, mm -hmm. DRI or the Crow Mags or, or stuff like that. It was kind of bordering towards metal, but it was still punk and hardcore. So that's kind of what I got into. And then uh, once I discovered that and, you know, like the Bad Brains, the Minor Threat and Black Flag, I thought, I mean, now I'm a huge fan of, you know, the Clash and the Pistols and stuff like that. But at mm -hmm. that point being, you know, whatever, 15, 16, you wanted things to go fast. You yeah. wanted it to be hardcore, you know, so... A lot of times when I heard like the more British 77 punk, I was like, ah, it's a bit too soft for me, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but no, so my, my first, uh, the gateway into punk rock was definitely American, uh, early American hardcore okay. stuff. That's yeah. very interesting because I, I mean, you knew what you were, you knew what you wanted and you could find it. And that's, that's great because I mean, I definitely understand what you're saying about, you know, faster, louder, harder. I mean. That's always, yeah. I think as a teenager, that's something most seek out, you know, and, and try to yeah, get yeah. as far away from their parents' music as they can. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I mean, it, it was like, even when I was into metal, like the other kids in the class, they were into like heavy metal, but I was like the kid that got really, I was into thrash metal, I was into Bathory and Metallica and like, you know, the more extreme types of metals. But, mm -hmm. And I, my, my point was that I wanted to play music but a lot of the metal seemed um, unachievable. It seemed like there were like these nerdy guys to be practicing for days on end, and I, I was not one of those guys. Like I was too busy living life, so I couldn't like get get a grasp on like how to how to play metal. <laughs> but then when I discovered punk and hardcore, I'm like, it had the same sort of energy and the same output and the same sort of uh, intensity. But it was like three chords, and yeah. it was like a bit more simple. So I was like, I can do this. So in in a way, I felt like when I discovered punk and hardcore, and I mean, you know, whatever, Dead Kennedys and all this stuff, it felt like that music. Someone made that music specifically for me, mm -hmm. which was pretty. It was a cool feeling. It was like, wow, I get it. And and also just not. Not only the musical aspect, but also the, the the sort of political and social aspect of it. Also, it was like, wow, someone made this specifically for me, for my situation, for my alienation. Uh, this music is designed for me. So that that was pretty cool, actually. That's fantastic. That's fascinating. I mean, the it, you know, I know a lot of people get into it because you know, it, like you said, I could play this, I could do this, you know, and 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 I was the same way. But also the fact that you brought up that a lot of it was because you were busy living life and doing other things, that's an interesting take on it versus just, well, this is an easy way in. It's, well, I can get an easy way in and still do what I want to do. That's yeah. that's an interesting take on it. I've not heard it before. Because I think like metal, a lot of times, especially like maybe thrash metal was a bit different, mm -hmm. but the metal 
like pre-thrash metal, it felt very, uh, I mean, they were like gods. They were like rock gods. Mm-hmm. And you touched that and all these dudes were just like, they're like virtuosos guitar players. And everyone that I knew that was like a, a, a good guitar player, they were kind of nerds. And I mean, a lot of those metal guys, they're super nerds. They didn't have girlfriends. You know, they're, they're <laughs> nerds. That's why they're very good at guitar because there's like, is like a extended form of masturbation. Yeah. And I didn't have the time for that. I was like, I'm busy doing shit. And then punk, I was like, this really, really goes well in my, my ADD sort of sort of disorder that I had. And I'm just like, I can do this. I can play bass. I can play three chords. I can just go off and go crazy. So it, it, it made perfect sense for me. Absolutely. I didn't have the stamina to practice too much. It's <laughs> <laughs> so awesome that, I mean, You've done so much in music, but starting from that basis, I mean, that's it's totally pure and natural. Um, so, and you are, there are a lot of issues you're into, like the gender equality issues and capitalism and things like that. I mean, is that what shaped those those views or kind of brought that to your attention or is it through the music or was it something you were seeing in your own life um, that you started to identify through these other bands? Well, I think it was... Uh... It was a combination of things. I think, first of all, like, I don't know. I Early on in life, I felt like, I felt like a freak. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, some, you define yourself maybe in opposition to, to what other people are. And uh, I was always a, weirdly in opposition, but never quite defined what I was and what I was in opposition, uh, you know, against. So... Um, when I discovered punk and hardcore, it, it gave me uh, a place where I could fit in. It gave me like a sort of a purpose of this is uh, this is who I am. This is what I can become. And and through all of that, I mean, just being feeling alienated, feeling like an outsider and a freak. And when 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 punk rock sort of defined that this 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 feeling of being an outsider is actually cool. It's like a, it's an okay thing to be. And then all that led me to the, the political aspects of it is like the social constructs, the social structures. And, uh, I mean, just like dead Kennedy's, uh, gimmick convenience, gimmick death was one of, uh, the, the first records that I ever bought. Mm-hmm. And it's so chock full of politics. And I was like, wow, it blew my mind. And then, uh, I remember distinctly, this is a bit later, this is like, you know, I've been punk for a while and, and, and a lot of the politics were very, uh, I mean, when you become a punk and, and the, the politics are sort of rooted in your gut more than in your brain, you know, it's like mm-hmm. kind of a, a gut reaction to, to what things are. And I remember like uh, the first uh, Iraq invasion, um, Bad Religion and Noam Chomsky put out a split mm-hmm. and I read the Chomsky I listened to that side and that so this is maybe 92 or 93 and that really spiraled me into the 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 deep political connections of of uh, what I am today I mean before that it was more a gut feeling of like you know that the the whole like fuck society kind Mm -hmm. of yeah that kind of of routine so but but it, it was immensely important I I um I never, I didn't have, I I don't have any higher education. I never went to like a university or anything like that. Uh, So basically everything I learned about 
politics about you know gender equality or about you know what capitalism defines and what it is and and about art it was through music mm-hmm. it was a because of music it was through music and i was like a, it's a very very powerful thing i think i agree i agree absolutely agree and that's i mean so many people get into that through music and through you know expression i mean they see that true expression i'm sure i mean like you did at a young age and now people see from you i mean it's kind of come full circle to where you know now you're you could be a vessel for you know inspiring young people today um you know versus what you were seeing when when you were you know growing up and with a lot of these bands i mean with your amount of access now with what you've done have you gotten a chance to you know meet jello biafra or um you know ian mckay or any of these guys or communicate with them on a level different than just being a fan I mean, when I met Ian and Jello and a bunch of those people, I I quickly uh, disintegrate into fanboy. So it's <laughs> hard. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm I'm a guy from from the north of Sweden, and I always felt a bit disconnected to to like the rest of the world. Uh, so when I meet them, I'm I'm still a bit of a fanboy. But then you know, like like uh, I guess that's fine. You know, you don't have to, uh, in some weird way, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time and you meet a lot of these people and they do consider me their peers. Yeah. But then I look at them and I'm like, oh shit, it's that guy from that band. And, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm still, I still love and appreciate music uh, so much that uh, it, it's still exciting to me to meet people like that. Even if they've been in minor bands, like, like you sometimes meet someone like he was in that band. They put out like two seventies, and I get really stoked. And the dude goes, "Why are you this excited about like my <laughs> shitty band that put out two seven inches?" And I'm like, "Well, I have the seven inches. I love them, you know." So it's like I'm 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 still that kind of nerdy record collector fanboy person, you know. Mm-hmm. You should. Yeah. You, that makes you a perfect metal fan. <laughs> Yeah, yes. <laughs> and I mean, is it? It's, it's just got to be a mind fuck. I mean, going from I mean, and you turning into a fanboy meeting, you know, so and so and so and so, but then bands that you've expired, uh, inspired, I mean, look at you the same way. Does that does that mess with your head at all? Do you think about that at all? Try not to. Yeah, I mean, but, it's yeah. It's sometimes I met. I remember first time I met Scott Ian from Anthrax. Mm-hmm. And I knew I knew he was saying favorable things about Refuse. So I was like, I was like, maybe I should go up and say hi and kind of thank him for like you know name dropping Refuse, because because when I was a metal kid, Anthrax Among the Living was one of my favorite records. So I walk up and I'm like, hey, I'm Dennis. I'm you know I was in Refuse, and he said, wow, does anyone have a camera? I want a photo with you. And I was like, oh no, no, stop. So I mean. That that's a bit surreal sometimes, but then the the idea that so so the thing is when people come up to me and younger people or you know people my age are like oh I listen to your music and you know it changed my life and so on and so forth. Um, you got to take it with stride because because a lot of times like like you're so wrapped up in your own life and and your own creative process that sometimes it's hard to be like like let's say we're working on the you know we're putting out this new invasion record and someone comes up and says oh shape of punk to come change my life and i'm like oh that's cool my headspace is somewhere completely different right now so so in 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 some ways it's a bit tricky to uh 
how to relate to that. I mean, it's 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 humbling and it's it's uh, it's a privilege that people out of all the records I made that 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 some people are, you know, their 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 favorite record, and it's it's a cool thing, but. I want to be a bit more, you know, level-headed about it and be like, it's cool that you can inspire people and and uh, and hopefully I can get inspired by them. Yeah. But yeah, it's a mind fuck sometimes, yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> that has to be, man, and and especially now. I mean, after after spending so much time away from from refused and doing other things, and I mean, I guess I wanted to know you put out Shape Punk to Come, band ended. And it just kind of had a life of its own at that point. It seems like I remember I bought Shape Punk to come at a Fred. So there's a store over here in America called Fred Meyer over on the West Coast, and it's one of those all you can you know one stop shop places. They have clothes, they have music and jewelry, everything. It's like a Walmart but smaller. And yeah. I bought Shape of Punk to come. I don't remember how I heard of it, but I bought it at Fred Meyer, and. uh you know, I thought I think maybe just the cover looked cool. It was on a, like an end cap, and I bought it and brought it home, and we listened to it, and we're like, "What is this? This is this is crazy!" You know, like it was like something we never heard before. And at that point, I was uh, probably man, I had to be in my in my teens, and I mean, we just gravitated towards that, and then we didn't realize like the band had broken up at that point. We're like, you know, this band from Sweden, and and. You know, we were into just, you know, straightforward punk rock stuff. And this kind of threw everything into a blender. And uh, it, w- it was super crazy. But but looking at a lot of, a lot, it seems like I'm trying to think of the right way to word this. And I was thinking last night of the right way to word this. Because it's almost like you were, you created this thing. And then you, you were basically on the same level as a fan of the band. Because you were away from it, uh, you know, enough watching it, like watching it grow kind of like a fan does of a band and how was that watching something you put out there become so massive and influential um you know and and all the bands you know copying it and redoing it and you know because for a long time there there was a lot of bands that sounded exactly like refused at that time and what was that like for you sitting back and i'm sure you weren't sitting back but but watching that rise but not being a part of it at that point, that not being a real thing for you as far as, uh, you know, I'm in refused. I could play these songs yeah. whenever. Well, the, the, the thing that the, the most prevalent feeling during like the, those years, it was frustrating mm-hmm. because it was like, uh, whenever I put out a record, people were like, yeah, it's not shape of punk to come. I'm like, no, it's not. That's an old record. And it was like this, this frustrating beast that kept haunting me you know and um, i remember you know playing shows with noise conspiracy and like i was like that was a really good show and someone comes up and like that was a good show i love refused and i'm like come on you know this is refused is in the past so Mm -hmm. for a long time it was it was very frustrating because it was like it was more of a like an albatross than than it was like you know something that was like a liberating thing but it was also fascinating because it was like I felt very disconnected. Mm-hmm. I remember people talking about Refused, and I'm like, oh, yeah, those guys, that band. You know, like, it was like, <laughs> it was something like, because when we did Refused, we were like, uh, you know, we were like 
a, a semi-big fish in a super small pond. Mm-hmm. That that's that's the extent of our success when we were around. Like in Sweden, we did pretty good around pretty you know around 96 97 we did okay in sweden mm-hmm. that that's basically and me and we toured europe and we did a, a tour of the states but no really care that much so it was a bit surreal to see it on mtv and see like people in metallica or guns and roses talk about about something that you did in the past but then somewhere along the line you know like when you try to liberate yourself from something that become, becomes like a, a ball and chain. And I think that's what I felt for a very long time because I was so like, we're doing noise conspiracy, we really try to make that happen. And people just kept reminding me about the past. But then that changed and you know, a couple of years before we did the reunion, I was like, I, I remember listening, like they did um, like a double vinyl reissue of Shape and I remember listening to it and I texted David and I said, that left it was pretty okay. And he wrote back and he's like, yeah, it was not that bad actually. <laughs> and, uh, but it took me a long time to sort of come to terms with what, how good it was and how groundbreaking it was because for a long time, it was just something that it was just like an obstacle more than anything. But then when I started listening to it and I was like, Oh, it is actually a cool record. And, and you get some perspective and you get, uh, I think maybe most important, you get time in between you and this work of art and you could see it a bit differently so then because because also i remember like making that record and it was a bit of a struggle and it was not fun and it was like the last year of that band was just it was kind of torturous mm-hmm. so, so a lot of my memories of refused were kind of tainted from that last year and uh and then we did the reunion it was it was like a weird sort of uh delayed payback of all the hard work put into it and it it was like this weird um victory lap i call it the victory lap year (laughs) (laughs) uh, yeah it was it was fascinating it was um definitely something because i like and this is i mean maybe it is uh part and parcel of who i became as a person but I like the struggle. Mm-hmm. I like when there's a bit of a, when you're an underdog. Because every band I've ever done has always been sort of, I've never been a mainstay sort of character in people's life. It's always been like, every time I get up on stage, I have shit to prove to people. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like a, a really, um, uh, it's a fitting role for me. Like the the underdog. Yeah. So that refused year was just insane because there's nothing like anything I ever had before. I mean, even I mean, Noise Conspiracy had success. Mm-hmm. We we did really well. I mean, I mean, um, maybe people tend to forget, but we there was a period when Noise Conspiracy was kind of a hot thing. You know, people were kind of excited, and uh, and we did really well. But it was always uh, a work in progress, and was always kind of a bit of a struggle, and then. You know, 2012 happened there. I mean, I could have gone up on the stage and farted in the microphone, and I would have 500 people <laughs> stage. Completely surreal. <laughs> yeah, and to be at that level where I, I noticed things like that when I was a kid growing. I mean, we went and saw Green Day, and he, yeah. he, Billy Joe, could say anything he wanted, and that entire stadium would scream. 
And I yeah. commented on the way out. I was like, man, he could have done anything. He could have, he could have, you know, snapped a drumstick in half and everyone would have flipped out. I, I couldn't yeah. imagine being at a level where, I mean, you could do that, walk out on stage and do anything and people would be totally into it. I mean, yeah. it seems like there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that to not waste that kind of uh, influence, you know, where, where, you know, say something meaningful, say something empowering or say something inspirational versus just, hey, motherfuckers, you know, like. Don't, don't underestimate a, a good hey, motherfuckers. Though. <laughs> it could go a long way. <laughs> yeah, there's a that's how you that's how you get them in. That's how you reel them in, because that brings everyone that's turns cool. everyone around. <laughs> no, but it, it's that, that I mean, when we decided that we're going to get back together we felt the pressure you know yeah we we said all right if we're gonna do it so let's let's do it properly and i mean we you know a lot of people take take you know they take issue with with money and the fact that we got really well paid by coachella and stuff like that but then What's going on, guys? This is Dewey. I want to tell you about some new releases coming up from Equal Vision Records. As you guys know, Equal Vision Records is my family, and so are these bands. I really want you to check these out. We've got Hot Water Music with their 10th studio album, Vows, out May 10th, featuring guest appearances by Dallas Green of City and Color, Thrice, The Interrupters, and Brendan and Daniel from Turnstile. See them on the 30th anniversary tour with Quicksand in the States in May and June and Europe in November. Hotwatermusic.com for more info. We also have Be Well with their new 7-inch, A Tap I Can't Turn Off, out now. First new music in two years from this band. This band is incredible, featuring members of Battery, Bane, Darkest Hour, and Fairweather. See them on tour with I Am The Avalanche in June. Equalvision.com for more info on that. And just your general information on Equal Vision Records, you're always going to find something you like at Equalvision.com. Go there for vinyl and merch from all of your favorite bands. Check out Hot Water Music's new record and Be Well's new 7-inch now. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, they have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working, as most people are, online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. 
there's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the Passcast. The Passcast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. It also meant that we could practice. Yeah. We took time off from our lives and practiced eight hours a day five days a week for two months because mm -hmm. we felt that if we're going to do it, we have to be serious about it. It's responsibility. So when we did the reunion, I mean, yeah, we could have done pretty much whatever we wanted, but what we felt that we had an obligation to the people that for all these years when we were not a band, they kept the band alive. They mm -hmm. talked about us and they, 
you know, they bought the records and they, they people had fucking refused cover bands. We had a responsibility to those people to be, to deliver. Mm-hmm. And I did. And I think it was like, we felt the, the pressure, but in a really good way. So, I mean, when you go up there and, and you do that victory lap and, and you play to all these people, you need to make that count, you know, because you don't, you don't get chances like that a lot in life. And, and especially like, being a part of a, you know, like what we play really alternative, sort of abrasive, angry music. I mean, you don't get that chance that often to 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 be in that position where everyone is excited about what, what you're going to do. And 2012 mm-hmm. was one of those years. Yeah. And I mean, so were you guys approached for years in years past as well to get back together? Or was this kind of all at once where Coachella came and said, hey, you know, we want you guys to to get back together for for the festival. Was that something you guys had you know received and turned down many times before? Yes, yes, okay. it was. I remember one time uh, we turned we got an offer from Coachella and we turned it down. And then uh, a week later, me and David had played drums and refused. We had a hardcore band for a while called AC Four. Uh-huh. It was like school hardcore band. I sang and David played bass, and we played in a, in a place in the south of Sweden in front of six paint people and and i looked at dave and i'm like yeah we turned on coachella it's awesome and uh, it was just like the, the absurdity of like the fact that uh we were playing there and, and six people showed up to see us play and and uh, we were just laughing about it so <laughs> we turned it down a couple of times but it's it's with life and how life is it's like when the offer came in 2011 for the first time we all lived in the same city uh-huh we were playing music together in different constellations. Uh, David started playing drums again. Chris started playing guitars again because because they hadn't for a long time. And when the offer when the offer came, it was just like, oh yeah, now we can do this. I mean, the same offer two years early it wasn't even it wasn't even on the table. There wasn't even a discussion. It was just like Coachella. No, that was it. You know, that was the discussion. But uh, when we got the offer in 2011, it was like the stars were aligned and, and uh, we felt that uh, if we're going to do it, maybe this is a good time because we all had calendars that looked pretty empty and it, it was, it was just time to do it. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, what was it like when you guys got back together and were practicing all the time? I mean, I was curious because, you know, there's that iconic, and I'm, I'm sure you know about it, of course, because it's one of the biggest, you know, parts of the record, and people want to hear it is the beginning to new noise, and when new noise kicks in, everyone goes absolutely crazy. Yeah. I kind of was curious from when you wrote that song to how you felt, you know, when that song would kick in to after all these years getting back in the practice space and playing that song, if it felt the same or if it felt very different to you. And then the first time you went out on stage and everyone went crazy, like one of those huge monumental moments, um, did it feel the same or did you feel a lot different each of those times? Uh, it felt, I mean, when we start practicing for the, the, the comeback, mm-hmm. it felt very different. I mean, it, it was 14 years. Yeah, uh, you changed a lot. You grew a lot as as people in these 14 years. So we'll, we approached the songs very differently, mm-hmm. in a good way. I mean, we we approached them in a in, in a more uh, mature kind of way. And then 
we looked at them and said, okay, so what, what can we do with this? I mean, new noise is it's so special because it's such a special song. Just yeah. the way it's very manipulative and it's a, it's a really kind of like the way it's built. And, and I mean, we had a, we play that song live in, in, you know, in 98 before we broke up, but it wasn't, no one really cared that much. People, a couple of people, yeah, that's a good song. But the, the iconic sort of, uh, can I scream moment? Yeah. That was established. That was something that happened in 2012 where I have, I never from 2012 until now, I don't think I have, I have, I don't ever, I haven't done the, can I scream once? Yeah. I just like point the microphone yeah. out in space and that's it that's fine um but i remember <clears throat> so we played a couple of like warm-up shows in we played two warm-up shows in sweden they're pretty crazy but i think we were so uh we were overwhelmed by the sort of uh, the momentum of everything happening mm-hmm. uh and then we played uh, a warm-up show in in uh, the glass house in pomona we did the first weekend of coachella which really shaky really kind of like you know, what the fuck are we doing? Mm-hmm. Sort of. And then we played a show in San Francisco with the, the Bronx and the Hives. And it was fantastic. And I remember we had New Noise as, as the first encore, of course. Uh-huh. I remember standing on the side of the stage. The other guys went in and they did it. And I was standing with Pelly from the Hives. And, and when, when Chris started a riff, people just fucking went lost it and i looked at pelly and pelly looked at me and i said what man it's your iron man and i was just like oh yeah that's what it is <laughs> and then after that i was like oh yeah that, that makes sense it's that song that sort of uh i mean without that song and without that video i don't maybe we would be talking because you know i would still play music but that song and that video and what it represented definitely put refused into a trajectory that was not meant for us you know and mm-hmm. it's it's kind of cool so when you look at that song now because a lot of people are like oh you you got to be tired of playing new noise i'm like i love it every night i love huh. to play that song because it's such a it's such an important song in my life you know mm-hmm. so it, i just love playing it but it, I, it's very different from playing it in 1998 when no one cared and i hated my life i hated everyone that i was playing with and you know, no one gave a shit about our band to to play it now. And um, as I said, I haven't done the "Can I Scream" thing in in you know since 2012. Yeah, it's kind of the microphone towards the sky and the universe does the rest. So it's it's a big difference. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's awesome because it's kind of like it's it's kind of symbolic how you threw out you know shape to the world, just threw it up to the sky. It did all yeah. these crazy things, and now. You can throw your microphone up and it comes all back down to you into that microphone. All those voices and energy, you know, I, yeah. it was almost like watching Rage Against the Machine, how they just had this magnetic, I mean, you just watch a sea of people turn into a blanket waving in the wind. Like, it was just absolutely insane. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's got to feel good, man. It's got to feel great. I mean, and, and I love the symbolism there where, I mean, you don't have to say it. and And I'm sure no one even questions it. You know, because they're waiting for that explosion, but then they are yeah. the explosion now. You know, yeah. it's I think that's cool. I think it's like uh, you pass on the energy. I mean, you know, they're, they're in every year tour and every show. Once in a while, there's always going to be a dud. There's always going to be a show where it's like, eh, but there's always that moment. And and like 
like growing up with punk and hardcore and you know just alternative music like so much of the energy that we direct towards the crowd once you get it back it's so easy to play it's like mm -hmm. i mean as i said I, I like the resistance i like the idea of going out on stage and and telling myself and my bandmates that we're gonna fucking show them mm -hmm. i like that idea but anytime you play and you receive that tremendous amount of energy that a, a song like new noise sort of generates it makes everything easier mm -hmm. and, it, and it's, it's a fascinating thing because it's like a lot of bands i mean a lot of bands don't have that song a lot of bands don't have that sort of like where you can actually pinpoint where a career went a different way and mm -hmm. it, it's it's a it's a, a privileged thing to be to be a part of you know and it, and it is it is like for a long time refused was just like an entity of its own that was so much larger than than me or or any of the other guys in the band and it's it is it's quite um interesting to see that and to be a part of something that just kind of uh grows without your control you know it's yeah kind of, yeah it's like a forest fire with with positive effects like you just yes. started as a spark and then you just watched it go i mean it's just watch it it's just insane down. yeah just watch it burn shit down man like it was, it's insane i mean every band i talked to for those i mean that's when i was coming up through music was during that time you guys were gone and it all anyone ever talked about as far as influences go was refused and it was cool because and, and like you said at the time you were doing international noise conspiracy like you were actively touring but there's definitely this this you know magic with refuse that everyone you know you're always dennis from refuse you know um uh, and yeah. you probably always will be and that's that's something i was curious to on is with invasion I mean, you kind of started International Noise Conspiracy in the wake of Refuse leaving the first time. And now with Refuse being back uh, and and doing Invasion, I mean, how has that been for you? Is it in, more inspiring for you to do Invasion now that Refuse is back? Because it's not really, it's not really, uh, I guess, as Refuse is ending again. Because Refuse is still together. Refuse is, you guys are going to be working on new music. But you have yeah. Invasion now. So it's a little different than Noise Conspiracy, but... How is how is invasion for you having that you know with refuse back in the picture being kind of I know you're you're focusing on invasion but I think a lot of people still look at refused as your main band yeah which is interesting because invasion was a band that was my main band before refuse got back together mm -hmm. so it's not like this weird uh, I think people well I mean my take on it is that invasion is for most people a, a new band. Mm -hmm. And maybe something that people see as as a project, which is pretty far from the truth. But then that's the that's the thing. Like the interesting thing is that we have a new record coming out with Invasion. Yep. And now, as I talked about, like I want to go out and prove to people that this is the shit. You know, this yep. is what I'm doing right now. And uh, uh, it's somewhat. Sometimes it can be a bit frustrating because we've had to put invasion on hold a couple of times when it's been refused related activity. Uh -huh. uh, so that's, that's a little bit frustrating, but at the same time, just looking back and looking at what I got, the ability to play music with, with the band like invasion, that's like, it's a super creative output. It's a super, very, um, 
I mean, these people in Invasion, they're my best friends. We live in the same city. We hang out all the time and we play music together. Well, Refuse is like a bunch of old friends that get, get back together and then we play music. And it, it's such a privilege to be able to do both things. And, and also the contrast between them, because when we go into a Refuse, it is a tour bus. It is a tour manager. It is pretty fucking, it's kind of a sweet deal, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm not it's it's pretty posh in its places but then we go out with invasion and it's like a super small van and it's packed and we do our own merch and we tour manage ourselves and you know like it's it's a it's on the other end of the spectrum of what you do as a band mm-hmm. uh play in front of 50 people and refuse to play in front of you know a thousand people uh of course, I would like to bridge that gap a little bit. It, there's no uh, purpose in just playing in front of 50 people, but it's it's a nice contrast, and it's a nice sort of like uh, it keeps you very grounded and it keeps you very humble in mm-hmm. in in the you know in in what you do and what you want to accomplish. Uh, but then you know you try to um, like refuse to play the last show of the the freedom tour whatever we want to call it. <laughs> it was on the honestly on the 4th of february in in, in um uh, new zealand uh-huh. on the 6th of february i was in stockholm doing press for the new invasion record that got released on the 8th of february in sweden mm-hmm. it's not an accident that happened i'll tell you that <laughs> so it's like uh, i'm pretty good at sort of organizing my life so so it makes sense to have two full-time bands yeah and it keeps yeah. you busy i mean it keeps and you kind of have the best of both worlds dennis i mean it's 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 yeah. awesome if you want to do you know something huge and and you know monumental you have access to do that but then at the yeah. same time you can have your your more you know grassroots like build it from the bottom up kind of, you know, I want to play a small club to 50 or a hundred people just going nuts. You can do that. And yeah. I'm sure you can walk down the street and do what you want to do during the day and don't have people coming up to you left and right. But at the same time, you can put yourself in that situation if, if you so want to. Yeah. It's kind of the it, perfect it, it, thing. Yeah. I mean, it is perfect thing. Uh, and, and I really like it. And as I said, I like the contrasts of life. I would be completely bummed if, all of my music and all my projects were just like super DIY project for 50 people. But I also, I would also be pretty bummed if, if, if everything was the same super posh. That being said, uh, of course I would like invasion to be a band where I don't have to like pay out of my own pocket to, to, you know, support the tour or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, that's also why it's a work in progress. And that's also, I mean, we're putting out a new record and hopefully people will be, a bit more aware of this band and and we'll go out there and work and we'll do that we're doing a u.s tour in september and it's just going to be hard work in small venues but that's how we started with refused and that's how noise conspiracy started and that's how any band starts and and uh i am not afraid of that work yeah i mean and so during the time off from refused of course and to now i mean Music has been has it been able to be your focus, or have you had to get like a day job or um, uh, something to make money on the side, as far as you know, keeping yourself afloat, being you know, house payment, whatever. Um, you know, you and the other guys. I mean, you guys had to have you know day jobs in that time, or were you able to keep music? Um, no, I, I just play music. I uh, 
one refuse broke up uh, in 1998. I went home uh, from that tour. I was super broke. I owed people money because mm-hmm. uh, cause the tour, we ended the tour after like four shows and we went home. So we owed people money and I came home and I went, you know, like I went to the unemployment office. I went on welfare for like two months and I felt it was a very, for me, like it felt very degrading. Mm-hmm. And I, I made a vow. I'm like, I'm never going to ask anyone for handouts anymore. I'm just going to make my way as a musician. Mm-hmm. There's been years when I've been utterly broke, utterly and completely broke. And then there's been years when it's been fine. And, um, but I made that decision. I just, you know, just make a living out of playing music. And I mean, lucky, I mean, Refuse, the Refuse record sold some records. So there was a, there was a, a time in life where it was always struggling. And then every like four months, there's like a little bit of like Refuse cash coming in. I mean, it was not much, but it kept you afloat, you know? Sure. Uh, I mean, it, if you look at like something like Invasion, everyone in Invasion has day jobs, mm-hmm. except for me. Mm-hmm. So that means like when we tour, people have to take time off from work and then we don't really make that money, much money touring. So it's kind of like, uh, it's a bit of a puzzle to, to make ends meet and make, make it happen. But it's, it's also, as I said, it's a part of, uh, the process. It's a part of what you do as a band and as a musician, you just need to work hard. And sometimes it's a bit frustrating that, uh, all the sort of cultural capital that you acquired over years doesn't really mean that much. Like when, when we come to time with Invasion, the fact that I put out like 30 full length albums and the fact that we played in, you know, we'd refused somewhere a couple of years ago, doesn't really matter that much. Mm-hmm. So it's always like a matter of like um, proving that you're worthy of being there, which I think is sometimes a bit frustrating, but also I like it. I like the fact that when we come to Portland in September, I can't take anything for granted. And the people that show up, I need to prove to those people that we're worthy of being on that stage. Yeah. Yeah. You take it seriously. I mean, you, you, I mean, because at the same time, those people are paying their money that they worked for to watch you do what you do. Exactly. You know, and I take it seriously. I think it's, uh, it's somewhat problematic in my life that I, I, I take, things way too seriously <laughs> but i when it comes to music and when it comes to art i think it's a good thing and when it comes to politics i think it's a good thing because i mean when i discovered that this is what i could do with my life it's such a fucking privilege and yeah. seeing so many friends piss it away because of pride prop pride sorry <laughs> because of pride and, and you know stupidity or drugs or whatever and and i always been when it comes to music and when it comes to the ability to perform live, I take it super seriously because mm-hmm. it is a privilege. And I, I don't want to, as, as you said, like even if five fucking people show up, they showed up. They deserve the same show as if 5,000 people show up. They deserve the exact same output and the exact same energy, the exact same set list. Don't change anything because there's not enough people there. Mm-hmm. Don't take it out on the five people that actually did show up. So I think that that's like a responsibility that I have and that I feel about music. Yeah, that's and that's a great point because those five people are going to go out and tell more than five people a piece what they just saw, and it's gonna it's gonna come back around to you. You know, I remember seeing the Mars Volta play for twenty people 
right after at the drive was over, Mars Volta at this club called the Meow Meow in Portland. And there's yeah, literally yeah. 20 people there. And Omar was sitting at the merch table. And I went over to buy a, a demo. It was a, it was a burned CDR demo. And he hand drew the cover for each one that sold. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, biggest band in the world, you know, and, but they still, I mean, John Theodore broke his drum kit probably three times and people had to hold it together. He was playing so hard, Like it was, and I'll always remember that, you know, and that was, that was something that was totally special to those 20 people, you know, and, and, uh, the fact that you put out the same output, but it's a, it's not because any other reason than you understand what needs to be done and you and it's done from a pure place from yeah, from an yeah. art standpoint and that's something to be admired Dennis that that I've admired from what you've put out um you know through the years and and you know to this day is that passion is real you know and yeah. you can see it you can see it on your face when you're on stage you can see it you know in in everything from pictures to interviews to right now just having this conversation i know what you're saying to me is is true you know, I believe it because you, you put it out there in such a way that, you know, it's genuine. And that's yeah. something also that a lot of these people that piss things away like this aren't yeah. coming from that, aren't coming from that spot like you are. So I think that's what's helped your longevity and keeping you motivated, you know, and, and, uh, it's just such a wild ride, man. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, I cause, cause the, the, the best shows you've seen are not defined by how many, people saw them those shows i mean they're defined by what they gave you and i mean sometimes you you play a show and and as you said like five people show up but then those five people you know it meant everything to them it's like that old sex pistol show in manchester when everyone that was at the show just started a band yeah <laughs> and, and there's something to be said about that and i think that and also for me it's like I realized quite early on in life that I'm 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 not great at life, but I'm great at what I do that hour on stage. I'm I'm pretty fucking great at that. Mm-hmm. And and to not take that seriously, to not take that uh, like like to not go full into that, it's just stupid. And I mean, to this day, like we played a show the other night with a mission and and. Uh, Kiki that played keyboard, she's like, oh, I had such a bad show. I mean, and it does happen. Like, it does happen that you have off days where, where you go on stage and you're just like, you're thinking about waffles because you're like, sure. maybe I can eat waffles after the show. I wonder <laughs> if they have any vegan ones in Chicago or maybe, you know? Yeah. And that does happen. But but still to this day for me, like, like uh, – just playing, being able to play music live is, is, um, it's such a powerful exercise that, um, I, I still like every time we play, I, I, I get so into the music and I get so excited about being able to perform that that's the only thing that matters. It doesn't matter if it's 500 people or 5,000 people or five people. When I get into the music and I get to be part of of what you created, and there's something I mean, yes, all creativity works like that, but but just in my mind, it, it blows my mind when when you have nothing and out of thin air comes music and you have some and it means something to you and it means something to other people, that blows my mind that like 
you're humming away uh, and you have an idea and you're like, maybe we should try to do something like this. And all of a sudden you're standing there at the fucking Meow Meow Club in Portland and you're like, oh, oh wait, this, this came out of the idea that I had like a year ago. I wrote down on my notebook and now we're here and people are dancing. And it's, it is, it's a powerful thing, you know, and it, it keeps you in it. Like it keeps you centered in, in what it, what it means, you know? Yeah. And it transcends, yeah. it transcends language. It transcends everything. That's it it's just so intense, intense to me with music is, is anyone anywhere can enjoy something from anywhere. You know, yeah. not, hey, I don't understand what he's saying. It's, I, you literally feel it inside you and you can't see it. And that's what's also so cool is it's not, a, it's a totally tangible thing that's invisible. And it's, yep. you know, I, I mean, and you can, even if you're, even if you're deaf, you can feel it. You can feel the sound. Yes. It's, it's absolutely we had, insane. We had a guy come, uh, we played in uh, Florida last year. We had a guy that came to the show. He's like, "Oh, it's the best show I've ever seen." He was deaf. He was like, "I felt it. I feel everything you do." I'm like, "That's mm -hmm. pretty." But yeah, I mean, um, music transcends time and space. It transcends everything, and and that means something. And I think for me that um, that aspect of of um, being in a band uh, is super important. Still, every 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 show we play and. I um I think that like once once you get into it and and you really like that changes so much. I mean, my prospect were not the greatest. Mm -hmm. I'm like ADHD type of kid. There was like a really short attention span. I'm spastic kind of character. Come from a working class family. You know, it wasn't like like I could do anything I wanted. It yeah. was like, so maybe you, you can get like some blue collar job and, you know, stuff like that. And then, then music came and it changed everything. It changed the tra trajectory of my life. It changed, it made me into a completely different person that I, than the person that I was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And I don't take that lightly. I think that for me, it was like, you know, people say it's a matter of life and death, but I'm like, no, it's for me, it's way more important than that. It's everything. It's like the fabric of my entire existence is, um, uh, is based on, on me discovering music, basically. Yeah, I believe that 100%. Yeah. 100%. I mean, that's... And, and what I want to talk about, like, transcending language and everything else, I mean, I know... Are, are there some... When... And this is kind of an afterthought, but, but uh, deciding to sing in English versus Swedish... Was that always a conscious thing, like uh, because of you'll have more of a reach as far as being able to be understood with what you're writing, um, or was it just more comfortable, or maybe the words fit together better um, as far as to the music? I know some things get lost in translation, but was that is that always a conscious thing? Like I have to do this in English, or um, I want to do this in English? Uh, when I started, when I started playing music everything that I listened to was in English. And I just kind of, uh, I just kind of assumed that this is the language of rock and roll. Mm -hmm. So why mess with that, you know? Sure. And, uh, I don't think when we started, it wasn't a matter of like, cause when you start playing music, to be honest, you just do it because of the music. 
Yeah. There's like agenda. There's no plan to take over the world. Like you start and you're like, maybe, I mean, I remember starting refused. And I, I mean, David said, maybe we could play a few shows outside of our hometown. Maybe release a seven inch. That'd be rad. Mm -hmm. We still have not released a seven inch, which is kind of a <laughs> testament to the failure of our band. But, uh, <laughs> but when you start playing, you just, you just play. I don't think there's, there's a motive to, uh, like, oh, let's sing in English because then more people will, will get it. However, when we did the last Invasion record, mm -hmm. before that, we did two records in Swedish. Where we sang only in Swedish, we were like, kind of like, well, let, let's do... I wanted to write differently because uh, the way I write and the way I, I think in Swedish is a bit different to, to the way I think in English because it's, it's not my first language. Mm -hmm. So two records in Swedish... But then when once we'd done the second record, we said we have we have something here that's that's cool, that's that's real, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, then we actually thought it would be a shame if people outside of Sweden didn't get it. Mm -hmm. So we did the last record, not the new one that's coming out, but when we did the last record, we made a conscious decision and said, let's let's do a version in English so that we can tour outside of Sweden so people can listen to the music and Sure, I've had friends that toured in America singing in Swedish, but they become cult phenomenons. And mm -hmm. I, I was like, not interested in that. I, I, I want people to be to be able to relate, to be able to feel what, what what we're singing about and to be able to sort of understand what we are about as a band. So in that instance, we actually took a conscious decision to sing in English so that we could tour outside of Scandinavia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Well, Dennis, I really appreciate you coming on, man, and and uh, I'm really looking forward to this Invasion record coming out. Mike uh, Mowry's been sending me some tracks, and and uh, you know he's such a good dude. <laughs> and, uh, we've been working hand in hand a lot with the network and things like that, and and uh, you know you're in good hands with him. I can say that, and and uh, but he's been sending me tracks and being able to listen to that, and I mean it's it's really cool stuff, man. And I am stoked to see you when you come through town. And, yeah. uh, I mean, I really appreciate you taking an hour out of your day to day to chat too. And, and, uh, I don't take that lightly either. I really prepare and, and look forward to these, these interviews and, and, uh, it's really nice Sweet. to be able to just chat with you, have a conversation, you know, other than, Hey, you're so-and-so from this band, you know, just, just to have a chat. And that's, what's so fun about these podcasts is you just have a conversation, yeah. you know, and I know you've talked to Shane, another guy on our network from uh, Silverstein and, and I yeah. believe Ray Harkins as well. And, and, uh, so I hope I hope things were were good for you and and not a lot of the same questions and same questions, but um, you know I really appreciate the time, and I, I really fine. appreciate what you put out there and and uh, influenced me and musically and uh, you know just being an inspiration. I, I appreciate that as well as I'm sure everyone else listening. So, oh thank you. Yeah, it was it was fun. It was a good good. Uh... Good activity. I have like a day off. We're going to Leipzig tomorrow to play at the Europe's biggest goth festival, which is oh, nice. Which should be interesting. So, uh, and we just came home uh, yesterday. So I have a day off, but this is a good way to spend it. Uh, I'm, I want to do. So here's my pitch for a podcast idea. I have okay. a podcast idea. Perfect. I want to do. I would love to do a podcast where uh, you talk to other other artists and musicians about the shitty records. Okay, about the, the ones that didn't hit. Yeah, yeah. I would like. I, I was here's what the, I was uh, driving home the other night, and we we're listening to uh, Mark Maron, uh -huh. and he was interviewing Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols. Yep, and it was all about the Sex Pistols, and I'm like, that's 
I love the Sex Pistols, but I want to know about the fucking Steve Jones solo records. <laughs> no one cares. I want to know about he had a band with some Clem Burke from Blondie called Checkered Past. It's fucking horrible. <laughs> Let's do a podcast about that. What were you thinking? Yeah. What was happening? Who signed this band? That's my pitch for it for the pod that I'm going to do. I think, dude, that's <laughs> what you could call it. What were you thinking? <laughs> what were you thinking? That's Seriously, so good. What were you thinking? I'm going gonna... <laughs> to pitch this to Maori now. That's that's going to be my my pitch. Like I have a pod idea. It's called "What Were You Thinking?" When we're going to talk about the <laughs> cheating records that people put out. That's good. That's the perfect. Third, the third record in the you know like in the discography where you kind of like. We tried something new. Yeah. Fuck something new, you know? You could call it, what right. were you thinking? Or you could call it deep cuts. I think that's what they call those those deep tracks yeah, yeah, yeah. on the <laughs> record that no one cares about or, you know. <laughs> yes. That's my idea for pot. Oh, Don't dude. steal. I'm not going to. I That is yours. That is marked right here when you told me this, that, yes. that uh, I can't steal it. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Dennis. You had to wait while we were on the air to, to bring that up. Now there's proof. <laughs> awesome man well dude have a have a fantastic rest of your day man and uh i look Thanks. forward to to seeing you in portland and maybe we can chat then too and and uh yeah. all right guys i hope you enjoyed my conversation with dennis likeson from refused i also hope you guys like that song stay by nominee definitely check them out uh nominee on itunes and spotify they are a fantastic band and i guarantee you you're going to be hearing a lot of them in the future not just on this show but everywhere. Uh, they are a great band. Anyway, so Dennis had a lot to say. I hope you guys picked up a lot from that. If you are on Adobe Radio, be sure to go over to iTunes and download the full version of this episode so you can hear the whole story and all that he had to offer. So we are on the Peer Pleasure Podcast, excuse me, peerpleasurepodcast.com. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. We are on everywhere podcasts are available and also on adobe.com. You can also pull us up under live shows on there if you want to listen to the Adobe versions. So definitely hit that subscribe button, hit that rate button, write a comment, give us five stars if you like the show. If you don't, you know, definitely be honest, but we do love getting those five star ratings. They definitely help the show out a lot. We do have stickers up on the store if you want to promote the show that way. We also have our Amazon affiliate link as well as our donate button on the website. If you feel like the show's worth something to you, don't hesitate to go over there and hit that button and donate some money down to keep the lights on and help us keep bringing great content week after week. So this month is a huge month for us. We've got a great show next week. Definitely go back and check out the Adam D episode if you didn't from Killswitch Engage. And we will see on the radio. The Lead Singer Syndrome podcast brings you never before heard backstage conversations right into your headphones. Be a fly on the dressing room wall as host and Silverstein frontman Shane Told talks to other lead singers about what it's like to front a professional band. Past guests include Lynn Gunn of Paris, Vic Fuentes of Pierce the Veil, Fat Mike of No Effects, and many, many more. Check it out and subscribe at leadsingersyndrome.com and tell Shane Dewey sent you.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.